Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here to, with you this morning and uh, to celebrate Harper. It's like having a it's like having a, another son that I don't get to take off my taxes, and uh, which is a little bit disappointing. I was uh, standing there beside Pastor Kivett, and uh, the longer I stood beside him, the more I didn't like him. He's tall, good looking. He sings well and talented, and so um, I'll be glad to be getting out of here in a little bit. Um, it's an honor. It's an honor to be here and celebrate this unique time uh, with you. I, I was the very first guy that hired Harper, and uh, it's neat to kind of see that three other pastors have made that mistake since I did. And and you know he, uh, <laughs> I heard that last night he took his youth group on a youth activity and they got stuck and they were home an hour later than they were supposed to be. I thought, man, I taught him well. Sounds like something that I did. And uh, but I did. I hired Harper when he was twenty. Uh, to come be my, my worship leader. And, and it was one of those kind of weird things where knowing his mom and dad, I'd had the privilege of working with his dad on staff at Triad, and, and of course his mom was the piano player, and I'd heard them sing. And um, I didn't know if Harper had any of those musical gifts. I just knew that mom and dad had those gifts, and I just figured that it must have rubbed off a little bit on him. And the reason I knew that was because my mom and dad's goofiness rubbed off on me, and I thought there's just got to be a, a flow there. And so Harper uh, came and worked for me, and it was one of those, those, just those really neat experiences of watching him grow um, and, and just, you know, and, and watching him start doing ministry and knowing, I think before he did, that God had called him into this and watching him develop into it. And, and there's a couple of stories that I want to tell you with what I'm going to say. I'm gonna, if you'll look in your, your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, there's a couple of, of things about Harper, uh, stories about him that I think will, will kind of help us with this. The, the first one is, uh, I remember we had, you know, I always wanted to have a staff and have staffing. So I took Harper one time to a Mexican restaurant in Kernersville. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you ever go to Kernersville. There's more Mexican restaurants per capita in Kernersville than there are in Guadalajara. And, and, and so we were, at a, we were at a Mexican restaurant and we're, we're sitting there eating, eating lunch. And, you know, I'm a young pastor. I'm trying to do things right. I'm trying to... Um, really, you know, identify with him. And I said, Harper, listen, I want you to know that if there's anything that you want to ask me, if there's anything that you want to tell me, you feel free. And I said, if you see anything in me that doesn't look like Jesus or there's any kind of criticism that you have, I want you to feel free to just share that with me. I'm not above it. And so he's looking at me and he's, he, he takes a deep breath and he says, well, you could be a little more humble. And I looked at him and said, you're fired. <laughs> and, and as we come today, you know, it's October. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. You guys have four great young pastors. You're ordaining one of them. You're going through a, uh, a church revitalization practice, uh, you know, kind of thing. And I've known about your church. I grew up in this community. I grew up on the east side of Winston. I was on staff at Trident. I've known about your church for years um, and like I said, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. My, my church pa practices Pastor Depreciation Month. Uh, I was a lot better three years ago. I've just kind of gone like a used car. My value's going down every year. But, but it's a neat time in the life of your church. And if you look in Hebrews chapter 13, I think as we, we come to this Sunday, there's a couple of things uh, in this one text I think will help you as you look at your pastors and you look at uh, this young group that are very sharp and very godly, who I just honestly fell in love with yesterday and I saw their hearts. I think there's something that will help you as you go forward 
in your community. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. As so I think about what is a charge to a church and, and what does a church need to think about as you're ordaining this young man to ministry and as you have really these, these four young pastors in a church that has had all kinds of rich history through the years, what is, what is your responsibility to your pastors? What, as you're looking at Pastor Appreciation Month and as you're looking at church renewal process, what does that look like for your pastors, well, I'm going to give you two things that, that, that the writer of Hebrews says. First of all, the, the first one is obey. The word obey is a little bit different. It's the Greek word. It, it means, it's patho. It means uh, to be persuaded by. Persuaded by. And, and it's easy as a pastor to come here and tell you, I, I grew up in Christian school my whole life. I went off to Christian college. The very first day they gave us a rule book that was bigger than the Bible. It was filled with a whole bunch of don'ts, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. You know, I grew up thinking if it was fun, it was sinful. That's just how I grew up. One of my, my kids, yeah, I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old. My kids watch Trolls. They watch, you know, they watch all these movies. One of my favorites, Trolls, where, you know, they've got the Bergens, and they're miserable, and they're not happy unless they eat a troll, and the trolls run away, and the little boy looks at his daddy. He said, Daddy, I didn't eat a troll. What's going to make me happy now? And the daddy picks him up on his lap and he says, nothing, absolutely nothing. You will never, never, ever, ever be happy. And I thought, that's my life growing up. That's how I pictured Christianity. And so it's easy to say, obey, but the idea actually means to be persuaded by. It's the word that's used in Luke 16, 31, when Jesus says uh, to, the, to the rich man who's died, who wants Lazarus to go back and give the gospel to his family, he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced or persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. In Acts 13, 43, it says, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged or persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And I think the idea that, that we need to embrace in our, in our churches is, if God has ordained your pastors and He has gifted them, be persuaded by them. So in, uh, when I hired pastor, I'd been hired uh, by an older, dying church to come and be their pastor. And one of the things they told me is, Pastor, we, we, we want to renew, we want to reach our community. And there was this idea, this false sense that if we hire a young person, that somehow young people will come. And it doesn't quite work that way. And so uh, we went through a process of some things that we were going to do. And we kind of changed the music just a little bit. I'll never forget Harper and the, the pianist and the guitar. They worked on things. And we were going to go to more of a blended service. And the very first Sunday we did it, we had a little church of about 50 to 60. The very first Sunday there was over 80 there. And it was a great day. And we were all excited about it. And I'll never forget, I didn't realize it, but everybody was mad as they were walking out the door. And I got the phone call later that afternoon and the, uh, the little lady lived behind the church that kept the books and I said, man, isn't it great? She said, oh, pastor, it's bad. 
And you know what? We, we, one of the things that we asked them said, will you, will you, the Sunday, there was a Sunday school class in the sanctuary, said, will you meet in the fellowship hall, which was through the door? It wasn't outside, it wasn't upstairs, it wasn't downstairs, it was through the door. Will you meet in the, in the fellowship hall instead of the sanctuary so they can practice? And after a couple months, I was riding to church one Sunday, and Harper called me and said, um, the Sunday school's back in the sanctuary. <laughs> and they had rejected what was going on. And do you know this? Listen. I was talking to somebody the other day from that church. They're running about 17 now, and it's a race to see who's last to turn off the lights. Because they weren't persuaded by what God wanted to do. Be persuaded. Can I get you also not just to be persuaded, can I get you to submit? Look at what he says. Submit to them. The word submit means to resist no longer. It means to give way to or to yield. The idea is that, that, you, that you rank under, that you don't hold maybe their youthfulness against them. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no one despise your youth or look down on you for your youthfulness, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. By the way, when Paul says let no one look down on your youthfulness, he's not just talking to Timothy. This letter was going to be read openly to the church. If you don't believe me, think about what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Paul isn't telling Timothy to go ask for a raise. He's telling the church, take care of my boy. And what he's saying is, listen... Don't, Timothy, don't give this church a reason to look down on you because you're young. But he's also telling the church, don't look down on him because he's young. God has conferred something on him. And if God has conferred something on him, God has gifted him to see something. God doesn't call a man without gifting him. When I got to my church three years ago, uh, I remember they voted on me. It was a, it was a Sunday in October, and um, as I was walking through shaking hands with people, there was an elderly man uh, sitting back on the, in, in the corner, he and his wife, and I walked up, and as I walked up, he stood. He was in his middle ages, I could tell. I was kind of embarrassed. I said, no, sir, no, no, you sit down. And I shook his hand. Later found out that his name was Mr. Eldon Bradley. I did his funeral two days before Christmas that year, just a couple months later. His wife handed me, uh, gave my wife a little note, a little card this past Sunday with a little note in it. She said, Judd, I want you to know Eldon was a World War II veteran. So I want you to know the Sunday that you came to our church, Eldon was sick. But he said, I'm going to go to church because I want to vote for that young pastor. And Mr. Bradley was a World War II vet. He had all the respect and dignity and honor that a World War II vet deserved and had earned. But when this little short, little North Carolina pastor came to his church, Mr. Bradley stood, not because he necessarily respected me and my age, but because he respected the office that he felt like God was bestowing on me. Can I get you, as the writer of Hebrews says, to be persuaded by, but also to rank under? Why? Why do we do this? Why should you be persuaded? And why should you submit? Well, look at what he says. For they are keeping watch 
over your souls as those who will give an account. How many of you have an alarm system in your house? Anybody here have an alarm system? <laughs> okay. Y'all just killed that sermon illustration. Some of you, maybe you have the bumper, you have the, the sticker on your door, it's the gun that says, we don't call 911, right? Some of you have that. I, I, I didn't realize, we, we bought a house this year, our first house, we bought a house, and, and the doors, the back doors has the little siren thing on it, and you have to clip it. I can't hardly even reach it, but my wife can. She can reach it, and she turned it on. I didn't realize she turned it on. I go to open the door, the alarm starts going off. I'm freaking out. You know, you know what do I do here? And, and you realize a lot of times people have alarm systems, not necessarily to alert people, not to alert the cops when somebody breaks in, but to keep the people from getting in in the first place. It's there for protection. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that God has ordained your pastors listening to literally guard your souls from the nuclear flames of hell? What most people don't recognize about pastors, and I can tell you this from experience, is even on our days off, we're working. Even on those moments off at night when we go to bed, we're thinking of you, we're thinking of our communities. We don't take days off. We're watching for your souls. We're watching for your souls. And look at what he says. They may do it with joy and not with groaning. This would be unprofitable for you. You know, every church has joy sheep and groan sheep. Every church has joy sheep and groan sheep. You know what that is? We have certain people that we see, we say, oh, there they are. Praise the Lord. There's, and we went, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. They're such a blessing. We see them, they're such a blessing. Every one of us have grown sheep. Meaning, we see some people and we're like, uh-oh, what happened now? Who didn't get their hand shook? What went wrong? What did I say this Sunday? Which for me, that's a lot. What happened now? And they're got pastor, pastor, and they're and you groan, and then we pray for them. But they groan. We have joy sheep and groan sheep. And what Paul is saying, we don't want that for you because that is un profitable for you. It's not for your benefit. Let, 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 me, let me finish up with your pastor's motivation. Your pastor's motivation. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Look at what it says. And let them do this with joy not with groaning. That would be of no advantage for you. In other words, church, your pastor more than anything wants your spiritual benefit. He wants you to thrive in the gospel. One of my favorite verses is John 10 when Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. You see, I believe to be a believer in America and to live out the joy of Jesus is the best of all worlds. What a wonderful, amazing life that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses of this, Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul says, For this reason, because have I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now listen to what he said. This is what I pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want you to know God deeper relationally. 
And he says, having your eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance of the saints? In other words, Paul says, listen, that you may understand that the riches of heaven are better than the riches in America. That this isn't your best life now. Do you realize if you're an unbeliever, this is the best it will ever be. And if you are a child of God, this is the worst it will ever be. And then he says this, that you would, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the power of dead. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to experience, listen, to experience the awesome, amazing power of God that is so significant, it raised Christ from the dead. And what I think is, is for most of us, we're so comfortable living out the Christian life in America that maybe we just miss the glories that Christ has for us. I've got a nine-year-old boy, a seven-year-old boy, and a three-year-old little girl. And as you can tell, in about 12 short minutes, I'm kind of a goofball. It's just kind of how God made me. Uh, it's my one talent in life. Occasionally, I'll do something right. Back in February, uh, I took uh, my son and my daughter into the hardware store, and they had these crazy baby chickens and baby ducks right in the front of the store. And next thing I know, my kids are running up to the baby ducks and the baby chickens, and they're begging for one. I have for nine years avoided a pet at home. I've avoided a dog. I've avoided cats. My, there's my two kids begging me for a baby duck. I don't know why, for some crazy reason, I'm doing the math and I'm thinking, okay, I can get out on about $40, have a couple of ducks, and I, and I figured for some reason I thought the ducks were cleaner than chickens. I don't know where I got that. I've never lived on a farm a day in my life. But I just thought maybe, you know, they go to the bathroom less. That's what I was thinking. So I, I, and, and I did the math and I thought, okay, it's probably cheaper to get ducks than a dog, or, and I hate cats, so I, I don't want a cat. And so for some reason, I thought maybe I can get by on these ducks, and then they'll grow up and fly away. <laughs> so $40 later, I buy two baby ducks. And I actually only had one. I was planning on getting one. And the guy said, we sell them in pairs. you got to buy two. So I said, all right, we'll get two baby ducks. That was February. They've grown up. They are huge. They're literally huge. And we got the six-foot fence around our backyard, and we've got the little three-foot little, little three-foot diameter. It was about a foot and a half, two feet deep little wade pool. And I'm telling you something. It's been six months. My ducks are full grown. I can't get them to go anywhere. They're just as happy as they can be in that little three-foot pole living in our backyard in that six-foot fence. You know what the crazy thing is? crazy thing is, is I literally live one mile. Listen to me. I live one mile from the Indian River. The Indian River flows into the ocean. You can literally take a right out of my road, go straight and go five miles, and you'll run into the ocean. In fact, we live, we live right across from the river, across from the, we live right in front, a mile from the river, right across from the river is where they launch the rockets. 
You can take a walk over the bridge, which is a mile. You can take a, a, a walk over the bridge and look down and see the manatees and the dolphins and all kinds of amazing creatures and ducks everywhere in the Indian River. Sometimes I'll go outside and I'll grab my ducks and, and I'll pick them up and I'll throw them as high as I can. And I'm trying to get them to just look over the fence. And my ducks, every time, they'll fly and they take off and they come straight down. And, and the other day I was outside with my ducks and, and it was just me by myself and they're quack, 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 just quacking at me. And I looked at them and I said, you know, I actually feel sorry for you. Because if you would, just for a minute, if you would get up the courage just to fly a mile, you wouldn't no longer be happy with the three-foot wave pool. If just for a second you'd fly a mile, you'd swim with dolphins and manatees, you'd see female ducks, and maybe one day you'd have some baby ducks of your own. You could eat shrimp. But you're content living in a little backyard fence, splashing around in a three-foot wave pool. In Salem Baptist Church, if I could encourage you about anything this morning, especially as this is Pastor Appreciation Month, can I encourage you with Hebrews 13, 17, be persuaded by your young pastors. They are watching for your souls as those that must give an account and they're doing it for your advantage in the gospel because God doesn't want you to live in the comfortable wade pool of American Christianity. He wants you to swim in the ocean of His grace. God bless you. You take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Judd, uh, you got up here and... I couldn't help but think, I'll be happy to give you a little bit of my voice if you give me a little bit of your energy. <laughs> Judd, thank you for that challenge to the church, and I have the opportunity now to give a challenge specifically to Harper. As he enters into his uh, ordination into, as a gospel minister. But I don't want you to think that uh, what I have to share this morning is only for Harper, because it's not. In fact, if you uh, pay attention... There is uh, much here that every single one of us can use and apply to our lives. I'm going to start here in, uh, in, in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to work through our passage of Scripture, and then we're going to pull it apart a little bit, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, before we go on, let me, let me stop there for a second. This is, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing along with Timothy to these believers who are at Colossae. Okay? He's, he's writing a very important message to them. And what he goes into next here, and what we're going to see here in Colossians chapter 1, is that he has observed something about these believers. He's observed something. Okay, so here we go, starting in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, 
Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, right off the bat, there's a couple of things that the Apostle Paul has observed about these believers, okay? Number one, he's observed that they've got great faith in Jesus. He's observed that they have love for each other, for their fellow believers. He's observed that the gospel is bearing fruits, and what they're doing is there's fruit coming out of the proclamation of the gospel. He's also observed that they love the Lord. Now, every single one of these are qualities that are important for anyone who proclaims Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. These are qualities that are essential, vital for you to have in your life. That that they they should, every person should have great faith in Jesus. They should have love for each other. The gospel should be bearing fruit for the multiplication of disciples. Their lives should be marked by love for the Lord. Okay, so those are marks of a person who has come to understand the grace and the mercy that they desperately need. Those are the marks of a person who who has come to understand not only the need that they've got, but it has been offered by God freely for them to take a hold of, and they have taken a hold of that grace and mercy that's offered by God. Those are the marks of that person. Harper, we are here this morning, and it has been observed that you have been drastically impacted by this gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't just give lip service to this gospel impact. This impact is evident in the way that you live your life. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to sit with Harper and Sydney, um, and one of the things that Sydney said is, and she's the one that knows him the best, right? The wife always knows the husband better than anybody else. She said, no, I see my husband, in my husband, the marks of someone who loves Jesus very much. Folks, this is stuff that's been observed in, in Harper's life, just like Paul has observed it in these believers' lives. And so he, he continues, not only with an observance here, he continues with sharing his heart for these people. This is his prayer, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul has observed a gospel impact in these believers in Colossae. We have observed a gospel impact in the life of Harper Compton. Now here's the prayer. Here's what I'm praying for you. Number one, be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Folks, there is nothing greater in this world than to be right in the center of God's will. Folks, there's no greater place to be because that's the safest place to be. It's right in the center of his will. Paul's desire is that these believers would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That word filled there, okay? It it, it literally means that something is as full as it can get. Okay, you take a glass and you put it right up here on this this podium here and and you fill it up with water and and you keep pouring and keep pouring and pouring and and eventually what's going to happen? It's going to overflow, right? Okay, this is the same idea with this idea of filled, okay? Filled to overflowing. That word knowledge is the Greek word epignosis. Okay, it means recognition. 
So, so the prayer here is that these believers would be able to easily recognize the will of God. Harper, if you rely on your human ability to recognize the will of God, the chances are good that you are going to miss the mark. You're not going to be in the center of God's will if you rely on yourself. You're going to be outside of it somewhere else. You need for God to sharpen in you the ability to easily recognize his will. And that's something that's only going to come with time and intentionality to learn and recognize God's will. Folks, knowledge of the will of God is a precious thing. Knowledge of the will of God is a precious thing. And Paul's desires that the Colossian church would be filled to completion with a recognition of that precious will of God. And that's our prayer here for, for Harper this morning. Our desire is the same thing, that you be filled to completion with a recognition of the precious will of God. Paul's prayer continues with a desire to see these believers walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. That's what he says there. Harper, this means that your life is to take on a Christ-likeness that is seen every single day. You walk like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. You see like Jesus. You live like Jesus. You love like Jesus. You are the picture of Jesus to everybody that you come in contact with, whether they've seen him before or not. Now, a moment ago, we talked about the will of God and the knowledge of the will of God. And there's some aspects of God's will that, um, that we find in God's Word that are, that are, that are there to help us understand um, uh, how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay? In, in God's Word, we find, we know that God's will um, is that none should perish and that all should come to repentance through faith in Jesus. We know that His will and His desire is uh, for us to, not conform, or to conform not to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. His will is for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that He has placed on our lives. The fulfilled, get this, the fulfilled will of God results in lives that are transformed from the inside out. That means that as the will of God is played out in your life, it will change your life. We won't be the same as when we first started. We'll grow more like Christ. We live, we move, we love like Jesus. We walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. And that's not done out of a sense of duty. Oh, okay, um, I think I have to do this for some reason. But as, as you grow closer to the Lord, what you find is that the love that you have for him is what drives you. That's what pushes you. He is the redeemer of your soul. He is the one who gave everything so that you could have life. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But what we find here and what Paul says, when we do that, when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we are, it says there, fully pleasing to him. Now, there's a lot of people who wonder um, what it takes to, to please God. In fact, oftentimes people kind of walk through life and they're, they're, they're scared to death that, that they're displeasing God for one reason or another. Oh, um, is God happy with me or is, am I okay with God? But you know, the only thing that, that utterly uh, and truly uh, causes God to be unhappy with us is when we reject his will. One of the things that he, he shows us very clearly that his will is that we all um, come to repentance through Jesus Christ. He is the one who has redeemed us. He died. He paid the penalty for us to, to be saved. Folks, the only way that God is truly and utterly unhappy or at odds with a person if we haven't, is if we haven't accepted the fact that Jesus paid it all for us. Harper, if your desire is to be fully pleasing to God, it can only come if you are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that you understand the implications that your daily walk have on your life. It's not the big things that you do in one day that make a drastic impact. It's the little things that you do every single day that end up making the drastic impact. 
Next, the prayer is that you would bear fruit in every good work. That you bear fruit in every good work. Now, um, spiritual fruit's a really funny thing because, uh, honestly, sometimes we see fruit right away, but then other times we don't see fruit for a really long time. How many of you know um, the name of the plant that has the biggest bloom in the world? It has an interesting name. It's called the corpse plant. Any of you ever heard of the corpse plant? Okay, so the, the, the bloom on a corpse plant, actually, um, when it is fully bloomed, it comes out to about 12 foot tall, okay? Um, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Okay, so this, this plant that is massive with this, all of this, this massive bloom, but guess how long it takes to get to that massive bloom? Anywhere between 30 and 40 years. So from the time you plant this flower to the time you actually get a bloom is 30 to 40 years. Now, I would much rather go out in the garden and I would rather put a seed in the ground and a few weeks later, I would rather get a stalk of corn, right? Rather than wait and wait and wait and wait for that flower from the corpse plant to to come up. The prayer here is that you will bear fruit in every good work. Now, oftentimes, we think that the bearing of fruit is kind of left up to us. Um, if we just work hard enough, often enough, enough hours in a week, then, then, then there's going to be fruit to what we're doing. And yes, there's something to be said of, of being faithful, but listen, that's not right. That's not the way that we should look at this. In fact, if you leave it up to yourself to bear fruit, then you will do nothing but frustrate yourself to the point of burnout and exhaustion. Harper, your role is to be faithful with doing what is right. God's role is to bring the fruit in whatever timing he chooses. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes you share the gospel with somebody and right away they come to Christ. Other times, many of you know this because you've been witnessing to someone for, for many, many years. You know that you plant those seeds over and over, you water over and over, and then sometime along later will come the fruit. But the next, the prayer is that you would be strengthened with all power in that endeavor. Be strengthened with all power. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, right there we find where our strength comes from. Okay, there's two words right there. Glorious might. It's the glorious might of God that is at work in us. That's where the power comes from. And never should we get so cocky that we, uh, that we think that the power to carry out what God's called us to do somehow comes from us. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. It's only God at work inside of us that allows any believer to do what God has called us to do externally. Harper, um, as, as, as I think about this idea of being strengthened with all power, I think about the fact that we are in this for the long haul, right? That we are in this for endurance and patience with joy is what it says right there. But the only way that we are going to be successful in, in the ministry that God has called us to is if we understand the power doesn't come from us, it comes from someone else. And we'll talk a little more about that here in, here in just a moment. Now, why is, why is this the prayer? Why are these four things the prayer? Why is Paul's prayer, be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bear fruit in every good work? Why do those things matter? Why is the Apostle Paul so clearly outlining those four things? Well, the answer is found in verses 12 and 13. Look at those with me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, he has made it possible for you to have eternal life. And then we find where it comes from. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, when these specific requests are lived out, yours is a life that points to Jesus. 
Because he alone matters. He is the only one that matters. Every aspect of our lives should point to him. If you, if you flip over, and it's actually going to be on the screen, so you can look at the screen if you want, but Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, here's what we read. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Harper, never forget that you were dead in your sins and Jesus reconciled you to God. Never forget that Jesus presents you holy and blameless to God. Never forget that it is Jesus who made a way um, for you to have life. Never forget that Jesus went to the cross to die a death that you deserve to die so that you could have life. So with that in mind, no matter what your life of ministry brings you, you never fail to preach Christ crucified. When you are tired, you preach Christ crucified. When you're defeated, you preach Christ crucified. When you are lonely, you preach Christ crucified. When you don't know where to turn or what to do, you preach Christ crucified. When life is good and when life is bad, you preach Christ crucified. When you face opposition, you preach Christ crucified. When it's not popular, you preach Christ crucified. When your life is in danger, that may come sometime, know that your life is found in Jesus and you preach Christ crucified. When you are victorious, you preach Christ crucified. Never stop, never quit, never give up. Because there is too much at stake for you to give in. There's too many people who need to know that Jesus loves them for you to throw in the towel. The call of God on your life is one that is for life. Today you're being ordained by this church for gospel ministry and that's something that lasts for life. Closing, I want to issue one more little challenge to you. God's word is clear that we as disciples of Jesus are to take on the mindset and the attitude of Jesus. The greatest thing about Jesus was his, was his humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Harper, the same humility that Jesus had in submitting to his heavenly Father is the same humility that you are to have as a minister of the gospel. Harper, before you're ever called to a platform, you are first called to an altar. Before you're ever called to a platform, you are first called to an altar. And Harper, it's at, that, it's at that altar that you are going to find the humility and the strength that you need to minister on the platform. Never, ever leave the altar. It's at the altar that we can fall on our face before our God and surrender in humility and say, God, do what you want with me. And it's only out of that humility and surrender that we can truly minister to others. This morning, we're going to enter into a time of prayer praying over Pastor Harper. 
He's asked that his dad, uh, Scott Compton, who is a pastor at Triad Baptist Church, um, offer that prayer. And in this time, I want to ask if you are an ordained minister of the gospel, if you will make your way up here, and Harper, if you will come. In this moment, it will be a time of, um, of us as a church kind of praying over him, of ministers lifting or laying their hands on Harper. I want to ask that as um, Harper is kneeling and we are laying our hands on him, that you as a church extend your hand out as, as a symbol of praying over him as well. Uh, microphone, can you get it right there, please? <clears throat> We'll gather in. There you go. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, and our hearts have been touched and moved this morning as we have been reminded of who you are. You're a powerful God, creator of all, worthy of our worship. We thank you for your holiness, for your sovereignty. We thank you that you loved us in spite of our sin. You loved us enough to give us your son, Jesus Christ, and to provide a way of salvation. Our hearts are reminded of some 27 plus years ago when we stood with Harper just as a little baby holding him in our arms. And we dedicated him to you. And our prayer was that he would come to know you and serve you. And you answered that prayer and we're thankful for it. We thank you for the way you've worked in his life. We thank you for all the people, all the circumstances that you've used in his life to mold him and to bring him to this point. And now to have the call of the ministry on his life, what an awesome blessing, but also an awesome responsibility as we've heard this morning. And so as we have our hands on him now and he feels the weight of our hands, may he feel the weight of that responsibility on him this morning spiritually. May he be faithful to this calling. May he be faithful to Sydney and to Maddie and Hudson as a father. May he be faithful at home first and then faithful to this congregation as he leads them in, in various areas. We thank you for the team that you've assembled here of these uh, pastors of Kivett, Rick, and Brian, and now Harper. And we just pray your blessing on them. And so now I pray that as Harper enters into this, that he will um, faithfully serve you. We thank you for the challenge that we've all received this morning, not just Harper, but all of us, of our responsibility to serve you, to be faithful to you. So may this congregation encourage him and lift him up in prayer daily. We look forward to the way that you use him here now and in the future. So this morning we, we recognize your call on his life and we understand it's all you. We thank you for the talent and the ability that you've given Harper, but it's no good if it's not given to you and, and you're allowed to use it as you see fit. 
So we praise you for this work in his life and thank you for what you'll accomplish through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Folks, in a moment, we are going to sing a closing chorus. Um, before we do, each of the members of his council uh, signed a Bible for Harper. Um, so by Harper, there is a Bible. And then a certificate that lets, him, uh, lets the world know, the government and the world know, that he is um, officially ordained by Salem Baptist Church. Um, we, the undersigned, upon the recommendation and request of Salem Baptist Church, was to Salem, North Carolina, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging the God-given gifts after satisfaction examination by us in regard to the Christian experience, call to the ministry, and views of Bible doctrine, hereby certify that William Harper Compton, I didn't know your first name was William, Here we go. Sorry. <laughs> was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained to the work of the gospel ministry by authority and order of the church, and signed this date, and signed his ordination council. Folks, uh, we're going to sing a closing chorus, and I want to ask that you uh, go ahead and stand for that. Afterwards, Harper and Sydney are going to be right up here at the front. Come greet them, mingle with them for a few moments. It's been good to be in God's house today. God bless you. <laughs>